Okay, hello and welcome to episode 45 of Dano Says So, brought to you by Trust Records as part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Today's guest is a lot like a few that I've had on in recent weeks and that I get to revisit someone who was kind enough to show faith in this show before it was a show. Pete was one of the first five people to come on sight unseen. He is known worldwide as a highly stylized guitarist and a very original musician. He is also a builder of sustainable homes, which is probably underselling the concept. And he is a dude who has an interesting grandpa, which I hope will come up smoothly <laughs> in this conversation today. Anyway, Pete Krimiak, thank you for coming back and doing this. Hi, Dan. I'm thrilled. <laughs> Hello, Pete. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when we did episode three of this show, it was in July of 2020. And a lot ah. of people came to me and said, you are you uh, ended up stumbling across, you know, hot news and that you talked about the fact that verbal assault members had been jamming and that new shows were being pondered. Yep. Yeah. Right? We were, we were going to tip the tides of the 2020 election, maybe like weaving in my little Bernie Sanders act and all that. And then, yeah, the first, first week of practice was scheduled for the first week of March, you know, and COVID sort of tripped that up. But yeah, I went and practiced a couple times within the last seven months. And yes, we played two shows about a week ago. How many restarts were there? I knew you had to book and then rebook. Yeah, I think there was just one rebook. Okay. If you want some internet fun, get in the middle of like a mask vaccine mandate for your 25-year-old punk band that hasn't played in forever. That's That was a joy. Well, I have some stuff going on by midsummer, yeah. and hopefully that'll be even further in the rearview mirror, but thanks for the advice. Yeah, it's fun. Okay. So let's get to the actual shows themselves. Uh, the where were they? The why were they there? And then we'll talk about how they went. Yeah, the first one was in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, our homish town, and that was fucking pretty glorious. It was like the best high school reunion anyone has ever had, and I described the pit as uh, the most happy middle-aged men since Sears gave out free socket sets. It was <laughs> okay. fucking bananas. I, I also was fucking kind of a mess, like emotionally. I was, for one, just trying to play verbal salt songs live for the first time in like 30 years. And uh, I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be able to like perform river dance like I used to and perform the songs at the same time. So I just tried to play the songs, keep it together and... Luckily, Chris had been like studying early century dictators or something because he was so fucking theatrical in the best way that no one no one cared that I, I wasn't like prancing around like a crazy person. He, he was so good. I couldn't believe it. His use of the mic stand and his hands was a noticeable departure from his 80s style. But sounds ah. to me like you were like you were loving that. Oh, he was like a he's like my own little Mussolini. Oh, well, that's <laughs> great. Who wouldn't want one? Yeah. Um, like an environmentally to, friendly Mussolini. Yeah, Fuck yeah. I, talk, I talked to a friend and I can't remember which one who said he spoke to you before the shows and said that you were more than a little bit nervous. I was fucking shitting my pants, if I'm being <laughs> honest. And I, I, I kept thinking back to our earliest shows where I would always tune my guitar and then have that moment where I was like, oh, no, I'm about to have explosive diarrhea and run to the back of the, you know, the back of the club to find the bathroom and have explosive nervous diarrhea so that, that was on my mind immediately my legs felt like concrete my hands felt like like i had one more movement left in them before they just like went into full cramping terror terror mode 
-hmm. and then by the second song my whole guitar felt like it had like like a children's like school paste all over it and i was just like what's going on and then i was like maybe it's my decomposing old body just like falling apart on the so that was, that was a fucking mess and then I, my mind would wander to like all over the place like dead parents like first girlfriend I, just like I, I was a mess i don't know i mean that to me that to me sounds like the artist's mind to be really corny i yeah. mean the idea that you would be thinking about all the things that in the end i think come out through your hands makes perfect sense to me now if you're playing suffered yeah. then maybe maybe knock that shit off yeah, I also just uh, to one more little boring moment. Uh, I had this weird concept of <laughs> of time mm -hmm. as it was happening. Like if time was like in the middle, and basically the middle, I was looking at my hand just to like keep things on track. But like time would be a little bit ahead of it because I, I kept trying to stay ahead of what I needed to do because it was coming really fast. But then my mind would wander. And I think about like my dead parents and it would go like backwards in time. And then I have to like pull it back. And for a second, I'd be like on time. I, I was struggling with a lot of just time space relationship stuff, but uh, it fucking, I, I watched a couple of the songs. It sounded great. You know, with so, that description, your physical appearance has never made more sense. Yeah. And I did um, not shit my pants. So, okay. Good stuff. You're um, welcome. Pawtucket. From what I've seen online, the set was what about 12 songs? I think so. 12 or 13. Yeah. And was that by choice or was that practical or was that? So we had 13 in our, well, we had 12 in our pocket and one that we sort of had had down and we did not venture much further than that into the old catalog. And the whole time Dylan was like, Dylan is our bass player. He was like, you know, this is, this is going to be a little, little short. And I was like, there's no way with all the chatting and the, you know, tuning and, mm -hmm. And it was like, I was, I was on like the 11th song and I was like, oh my God, we haven't chatted once and we haven't, there's been no tuning and uh, this feels like our third song and we have one song left and we had a, it was ridiculous, but yeah, we are highly aware of what needs to happen next time. Okay. So that's a perfect lead in. Is there well, a next time? I know, I know of something potentially happening in October, but I don't know about anything else. Yeah. There's, there's murmurings. Well, I, I think everyone is like let's do that every weekend right it, it, it was fucking fun and just the traveling was really fun and I, I i think everyone was really really stoked and so yeah we're we're planning on doing more stuff um maybe like a week on the east coast in late september i'll just be loose with rumors i don't We've want to put flirting. you in a spot i don't care okay <laughs> i mean we can just bail if it doesn't happen like last time but yeah, we're hoping to play at least a few shows with Soulside oh. on the East Coast. Okay. Which I mean, that would that would be pretty fun. And then yeah, there's chat of a couple West Coast dates uh, first week of October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had heard that chatter, and given the scale of the thing, if it comes off, I'm really hoping it does. It could be an interesting stretch of time. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I mean, it, it would be hard for anything to beat Pawtucket. But with my time space problems, I feel like I didn't get to fully enjoy it. So maybe, maybe like LA would be the next, next or Salt Lake City. Those kids loved us. Okay. That could be a good one. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked Kevin Seconds a question that I'm going to ask you. And that was, that's sort of the question of legacy, a beloved band, a highly respected band. You, you, you potentially put memories in danger. Do you feel like you've cleared that hurdle? Do you feel like you've, You've preserved your baby and done well with it. Yeah. And I have a few thoughts on this. The first one 
Yeah, I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to fuck it up. You know, we went out as good as we could be and didn't do anything radically embarrassing. But with the idea of doing the shows as like a run up to the election, it, at that point, I had seen like Soulside, Jawbox, Jawbreaker, and had just fucking joyous times at those shows. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, what am like the fuck cares like if if we could bring a tiny bit of joy to some old friends why not do that yeah that that played out pretty hard last weekend it was it was just fucking fun and people seemed to be really really happy and that was a nice thing to do okay my voice got all quiet well no no i'm a little emo you can be you can be solemn about it i like that we're better than emo but if you want to be emo about it knock yourself out also, I'm pretty sure our legacy at this point is more, um, you know, just in the memory of like the 10 surviving people that saw us because <laughs> we always had such shitty record distribution throughout our whole career and then never put anything back out until That's... a couple of years ago that, uh, you know, it was like a mythological Sasquatch that popped back out of the woods. I think the trippy thing about hardcore is that all of us or many of us still travel in that very small sphere. We may have a broader yeah. worldview. Yeah, but big in hardcore is is different than big in the world. And in hardcore, I would say that the return of verbal assault is no small matter. Um, when I'm looking at seating charts for something like Beyonce, I'd call you insect. You know, but I, I come from the yeah, insect world. Exactly. Proudly. Okay. Um, we were I right may- about everything. <laughs> Every fucking thing we were right about. Yeah. Even Jelly Biafra seems like like he always seemed hyperbolic back then, but now it's like huh, pretty on the fucking nose. And also just like having our reunion show coincide with the beginning of World War III seemed serendipitous. Hey, so let's use that to go backwards and talk World War II. Does yeah. that work for you? Ooh, yeah. Okay, so we were talking interesting grandpa. And the first time Pete and I had taped a conversation, I used to have this 30-minute cap that I would try and put on the show. Now if I go shorter or I go longer, I don't really care. And we went through all these different things that we wanted to talk about. And then we wrapped the show and never touched on his family history. And within a day, we sort of agreed that we would circle back to it. Uh, We were provided a good segue there. And really, the way of the world these days provides good context. So tell me about your grandfather. My grandfather uh, comes from a pretty cool family in uh, from Zakopane, Poland, which is a kind of very southern border mountain town. The townspeople kind of dress like mountaineering Swedish people with little felt felt outfits and his dad i think if i have this right he was sort of famous for um leaving leaving the town and becoming a doctor and coming back and starting this uh big kind of natural remedy based clinic for i guess it was tuberculosis and he kind of became like the founding father of the you know modernizing this old mountain town i guess is how one way to say it so my grandfather grew up during you know he was Polish Air Force. His brothers were also a Polish Army. So World War One, he was an active pilot. Supposedly, this, you know, take it or leave it. He supposedly was the first person in the Polish Air Force to test out the parachute, which uh, maybe wasn't that popular in his unit. I'm not sure. Right before World War II, he was, uh, I think, Lieutenant Colonel and came to D.C. as one of the military diplomats. He's on vacation with my grandmother and my little dad and his brother in New Hampshire when the war started. Poland was day one. Um, so he got called back to, to D.C. right away. And then 
pretty much got shipped off to England, I believe for nine years. Um, and I, I'm not even sure if he came back in that time or not. I'm trying to figure all that stuff out now. Um, so I just read a article from the Washington Post that I have in my stuff. Um, it's kind of interviewing my grandma about like, holy shit, this, this lady just, you know, showed up for like a one year stint with her husband in DC. And now the family is just stuck in DC. The husband's back in Europe fighting the Nazis. And it just, it just kind of read like a definitely much more comfortable version of what's happening in the news right now with Ukraine. But it just kind of hit me like, holy shit, that was, you know, that's my grandmother's kind of the start of her whole new life in DC and just stuck in a new place with, with the kids. She's selling off all her furniture for the war effort. And yeah, it's, it's a familiar tale. Well, it's a hell of a thing to think about the way history moves forward, but it doesn't yep. like I'm, I'm horrified by, by the mirror images. Yeah. This month with Ukraine and Russia just feels extra insane. Like as someone who's just constantly kind of more focused on climate related stuff, like, you, you know, you just see a convoy of <laughs> Russian vehicles, just like running out of gas, trying to get to a town to destroy it. And you're like, yeah, they're just, you're not really thinking about the uh, <laughs> climate, climate problem. No, it's not, it's yeah. not front that, of mind. That's not, yeah. That, that's one of my random thoughts that goes through my head constantly. And then just to like, yeah, the whole, I mean, you know, the, to resort to a, just a land-based European war, just to kind of, I mean, I, I know what the political reasons for it all are, but it's, you know, it didn't have to, just did not have to fucking happen. Well, truthfully, it's interesting. People, we're all caught between our own two ears, right? And the last thing that I expected when you and I would talk war is that it would circle back to your passions, but that makes all the sense in the world, given what you do for a living. The first thing you're thinking about in this thing, or one of the first things you're thinking about is something that hadn't really even troubled me yet, which is its impact on the planet, on the health of the planet. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not the the first thing that comes to most people's minds. Uh, so I was definitely jumping ahead. Obviously, the humanitarian aspect uh, is... Number one. I wasn't really but, looking at it as a comparison. Yeah. I'm in this uh, sustainable building kind of movement. And, uh, you know, so the whole point of my houses is to build houses that, you know, we're going to have a really low carbon footprint and, you know, be a net zero energy producer at best. So just to see just the radical, you know, monstrous display of just <laughs> the opposite of that for a political, you know, goal is just fucking insane to me um and it it just amplifies what an insane concept it is in general just to attack a democratically democratically elected country and do you mind if in this i ask this because i do respect your intellect quite a bit do you mind me just sort of picking your brain it's not really pizza pete specific it's smart guy opinion specific about some about some aspects of this war versus world war ii would that be all right with you give it a go i I, i'm far from a fucking expert and um I'm so busy. I'm, I've been like, you know, headlines and first three paragraphs of every article only for a well, couple of years. Well, it's the conversation I'd want to have if we weren't taping and we just ran into each other and got on the topic of the war. Yeah. So that's basically what I'm going to do. Make me I, look like an asshole on the internet, please. No, no. I am, okay. I'm confident it will be quite the opposite. But you and I are the same generation, right? Mm-hmm. And genocide is an unforgivable thing. And it's a gross, gross thing. But I'm of the opinion that we're almost taught to see Hitler as the personification of ultimate evil, right? 
as just beyond fucking Darth Vader, just sinister, right? Yep. Yet, you know, you think about who's on our $20 bill and there's a comparison to be made there. Fuck him too. When I think about Putin, I don't know his record well enough to know whether he's that same quality of villain, for lack of a better term. What do you think? Scale, you know, he's, you know, obviously nowhere close. And then how he has kind of played like his strategy the last 20 years to be like a working, you know, country. He gets dinged with sanctions, but has made, you know, Russia comfortable to the point where his, you know, bogus elections don't really get challenged because, you know, every Russian you see interviewed on the street is happy that things are better than they were 20 years ago. So, you know, a large percentage of Russians seem happier. Um, you know, he seems to have played the modernization of Russia to his advantage. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he's just poisoning his fucking opposition and jailing pussy riot for, you know, performing street theater. And so he's, yeah, he is an undemocratic villain. Did you hear that uh, This American Life a couple of weeks ago that was replayed just about the question of if he started the uh, Chechnya war to get himself into power. No. Search this American life, uh, Putin, Chechnya. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a pretty convincing tale of, I mean, it's, I mean, listen to it for yourself, but it'd be a surprise if he didn't bomb those apartment buildings, which kicked off the whole Chechnya campaign, which solidified his power. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have guys walking into an apartment building with a specific type of explosive that only the Russian military can get. So, yeah, that that kicks off if, you know, it falls into the realm of kind of conspiracy things because it's so shadowy. But it's also makes so much sense that um feels pretty convincing. Um, and then everything he's done since is just, you know, old school KGB tactics to solidify power and you know eliminate enemies and um i don't know that feels about as deep as i can get okay. with my with my you know interest in and in readings um who i have a couple of great f- friends that could fill us in but uh um that's 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 where i'm sitting the the sure. constant poisoning of his opponents is you know that sucks and then and the, oh one more plug is yeah. Watch the documentary on Netflix, Winter on Fire. Okay. Uh, it's about the Maidan uh, kind of uprising in Ukraine in 2014. And if you watch that right now, you will kind of get where most Ukrainians are at. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, my two second blurb would be like, they've had a taste of living in a democratic country. And, you know, during the Maidan revolution, Putin was trying to install a puppet just like Lukashenko in Belarus. And they fucking, they, they were not going to have it. And they, I mean, it's, it's shocking. You know, I, I read all the headlines and thought I was up on it, but the documentaries, I mean, they, they were just walking into fucking gunfire, you know, to protest and uh, they just weren't going to go backwards right you now. And it's intense because you think you've been to some anti-war protests and this is uh this is next level. Right. So earlier in this, in this conversation, you talked about the, this initial political urgency that served verbal assault well, or verbal assault 
could could tether itself to and that had to do with you know trying to trying to sway however many handful of minds you could regarding the 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 most recent election in the united states right yeah well does this current situation this war in eastern europe and you know the return of the return of of columns of tanks and armored vehicles uh which to me reminds me a lot of the 90s and of the gulf war which when we were both first coming up or spreading our wings musically does that increase verbal assault's sense of relevance for you? Um, it, it felt it felt strangely familiar. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of our really early songs had like, you know, it was more nuclear, nuclear threat based. <laughs> you know, lyrics from like fifteen year olds. Um, but uh, yeah, that's I, I'd say that's right in our wheelhouse of um, yeah things things that are of deep lifelong interests to us so fuck it i'll i'll take it as a sign message wise i mean the the verbal assault particularly the trial album is one of the most human things one of the most human documents punk rock has turned out in terms of its acknowledging of the human condition and its sensitivity towards the people listening to it that to me gives it relevance in the here and now yeah yeah I know what you're saying. The like having to spend a lot of time with those songs now. I think I've said this before, but you know, I think when we first played them, they were they're introspective, but also aspirational. Like thinking about the kind of people we wanted to be, and now, like 30 years later, like the lyrics are <laughs> they work really good for uh, people of our age to reflect on, and uh, you know, kind of anti back up if they got trapped in just being busy working parents. How do you feel about the age aspect of it? I mean, your humor regarding the nature of the pit <laughs> is great. Yeah. But there's an interest, there's an interesting thing, which is there's a lot of old people doing it. Yeah. And, and some for the right reasons and some for the wrong reasons. But do you think it's a good thing? I, I, I sort of do. I, after my last week, <laughs> I am like a, uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready to just do it every day. Um, do you think you'll write? We're trying to kick stuff around. We're we've just been so pressed for time just to get back up to towards zero. You know that um all our practice has gone into that, but we've been kicking around some new sounds, and I bet Chris could come up with some more stuff. So yeah, I, I would I would love to have new songs. So we're not just a, uh, a civil war reenactment society. <laughs> I was directly inspired by seeing you know a bunch of old friends play really good music that felt super you know it felt just as timely now and yeah when i remember watching soul and being like this music actually sounds it kind of makes more musical sense to me now somehow like it sounded so fresh and interesting and uh you know they're they're a pretty unique sounding band but but fuck that you know uh it it just made it obvious to me that why the fuck not? And if it were ever to become practically impossible for verbal assault to do it, do you think you'd be able to set the, sit, sit the guitar down again for years at a time? Like we talked about a couple of years ago, you said you can just leave it be. And then, you know, when it jumps back up at you, it works. Or do you think the needles back in the vein? <laughs> I shouldn't. Well, fuck it. That's what came to mind. My mom's last couple of years, you know, she was having memory issues and, uh, she came out of her bedroom one day, me and my sister were sitting there and she recited this 
Shakespeare soliloquy that she had memorized in college. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a thing with like dementia, Alzheimer's, like you sort of mentally go back in time. Okay. And she, she had been doing that. Like she'd been in kind of like a college phase and then she just recited this whole fucking thing word for word with this look on her face like can you believe this like and um i thought that was one of the things i thought about in in (laughs) pataka when my mind started wandering i was like oh my god like like for a minute i was like shit i pulled that off nice and then i was like i thought of that and i was like oh no maybe i'm just doing my backwards dementia routine and my fucking i'm in my shredding phase right uh so my i think if there's yeah, if there's a active verbal assault period, my guess is we would whip that old sad donkey for as long as we could, and then it would be obvious when the donkey wanted to go to bed, and we would stop. I can't see like doing this every fucking five years or something. Right. So that's my that's my take. All right. And maybe well, we just have a maybe we have a glorious year. I have no idea. I think I. I th- I think if the last two years taught all of us anything, it's that predicting too far in the future is just asinine. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, Pete, it is a short one, but it's a sweet one. We covered a lot of the bases that we wanted to, unless there's fiery protest from you, I'm probably going to wrap it here. Oh, what was I going to say? We have fiery protest. I have. No, it's not a fire protest. It, it, Ooh, it was one other thread when you brought up the grandpa angle. And that is on Facebook a couple months ago a picture of who I thought was my grandfather's brother, Joseph Kramiak. This was on a Auschwitz memorial page. It just popped up on my screen one day. And I was like, holy shit, that's my grandfather's brother, my grand uncle. And then a distant relative got in touch just from that comment. And um, it turns out I had it wrong uh, that Joseph Kramiak was basically my grandfather's cousin from Zakopane, the mountain town. He was like a on the national ski team back then. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, all the, like uh, the Nazis kind of, well, the Nazis and the Soviets collected all the officers they could find and just, just anyone, you know, mayors, everyone. And, you know, the Nazis took half of them away and the Soviets took the other half. And that's exactly what happened to. So Joseph got taken by the Nazis. He was killed in Auschwitz and my grandfather's other brother who was in the, the Polish army got taken by the Soviets to Katyn, the forest massacre uh, where the Soviets just killed all of the intellectuals and officers and everything. Anyways, this, I met this person and her family, uh, Joanna and her mom was visiting. Um, so I got to meet her, her mom and her daughter and husband. They live in Brooklyn. Um, and it was, you know, we met for a beer and then like seven hours later, it was like one in the morning and I was trying to find an Uber and like, I don't, you know, I love my friends, but after like three hours, I'm like, Oh, I need to, I need to go. <laughs> I need a break. Sure. But just like seven hours, you know, chatting with these people after like two glasses of wine, like I started noticing like subtle similarities between her and her daughter and my daughter's like just wow. subtle, like little things. And it was, it was a trip. So that, that was just a cool little thread. And um, um, yeah, I've always had the world's, you know, tiny American family because my mom, mom's parents came over from Sweden and she was an only child. And my dad was the only surviving kid from the Polish parents. So I, you know, I've, I've met some of my Polish relatives, um, but yeah, to have some in, in America all of a sudden, it's really cool. 
I can relate to that. Um, there is a, there's something about the Omahone facial structure that I know what I'm meeting, <laughs> yeah. that, that I know when I'm meeting a new one I've never met before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I think listening to you and, and imagining you sitting in the same room with these people, it probably made a history that you were already quite proud in and that we've nibbled around the edges of messaging each other back and forth. It probably made it all the more real and more first person for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ava, the Joanna's mom, um, you know, she grew up in Zakopane in the town. So, you know, she's, yeah, the closest connection to the Kramiak hometown, you know, that grew up there that, mm-hmm. that I've met since my grandfather passed away. So that's, yeah, that's remarkably cool. And, and there are, uh, yeah, she was, she seemed super, super familiar to like similar sense of humor. And yeah, it was one of the coolest things that happened on the last week. I'm glad um, we got it in. I'm glad I didn't, yeah. glad I didn't slam the door shut. And yeah. Haste. Yeah. And I still, we still need to get to your interesting grandpa, but um, yeah, that could just be the new theme of the podcast when all the hardcore tours dry up. Interesting grandpa. Okay, you know, that's essentially what 90% of the guests are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Pete, it was great, great, great to have you back on. I cannot thank you enough. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Well, everybody, that was episode 45 of Dano Says So. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020. 20-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.